If you have your Bible this morning, uh, we're turning to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, please, in chapter 14. Second Chronicles and chapter 14. You'll come through First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, and Second Chronicles and Second Chronicles chapter uh, 14, please, and then just leave uh, your Bible open there uh, for a moment. If I was to ask you this morning the question uh, to name some of the kings in the history of Israel, I'm sure many here this morning would be able to rhyme off such kings like Solomon and Saul and David and Hezekiah. Maybe there would be a few that would be able to name Josiah and King Uzziah. I want to bring you to another king this morning. And he's mostly unknown, and he's very often, he's overlooked. And that is King Asa. He was the third king of the nation over the two tribes of Judah. And you know, as we look at this man this morning, we're going to discover some lessons that you and I, as the people of God, need to learn. And not only do we need to learn lessons, but we need to apply them to our life. Because if all we're here to do this morning is to hear information, we'll go away unfed. And what you and I need to do as a people of God, even when we read the Word of God alone, is we need to know what God is saying, and then we need to apply it to our heart. And I want to feed your soul this morning from the Word of God, because the Word of God is manna. And the only way that the people of God will grow is whenever they're nourished in the Word of God. And I trust that you nourish your soul in the Word of God during the week. I trust you know what it is to get down with God with the open book and say, Lord, feed feed my soul again today. The Lord Jesus could say, man shall live by bread alone, but we cannot. Now this king Asa, I want you to cast your eye to verse 2 of chapter 14. It says that Asa, or Asa, did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. And I want you to see the character of this man that we're going to bring before you this morning. Because I want to tell you, dear friends, this, this morning in the lifeboat, God is interested in character. I wonder what sort of a character you or I have. What are the traits in our life? What are those things in our life that stand out to people that we work with, people that we live with, people even that we live near? What is it that they see in you and me? Whenever we go about our daily business, what is the character that we have? Well, this man Asa, first of all, he was a man that pleased God. He was a man that pleased God because we read there that he did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Do you know, dear people, this morning as we gather around the Word of God, that's a thing that you and I need to examine in our hearts. Do we please God? Does the words that we use, do the actions that we take bring delight to the heart of God? Because the Bible says it's not only possible to please God, it's possible to displease Him. Whenever Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he said concerning the children of Israel, but with many of them, He, that is God, was not well pleased. Do you know, dear friend, this morning as I look out and as we look out over the evangelical church, maybe even only in Northern Ireland, even maybe in Tyrone, maybe even here in the lifeboat, I wonder what it have to be said of us that with many of them he was not well pleased. But you know, it's not only possible to displease the Lord, the Bible says it's possible to grieve him. To grieve him. It's possible to vex him. It's possible to weary him. The Bible says over in Isaiah, Wilt thou weary God? You know, dear friend, this morning we need to put a spiritual audit on our life and ask the question, Lord, do I displease you? 
Is there anything, Lord, in my life that vexes or grieves or quenches or wearies you, Lord? Is there anything that you can't put your approval upon in my, my life? You remember the Apostle John, he said, do those things which are pleasing in his sight. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. And I want to ask you a question before we go on this morning. Do you please God? Do I? Did we please him in the week that went past? Did we please him with how we dealt with our customers or dealt with our husbands or wives or even our children? Did we please him? Well, this man Asa pleased God because it says that he did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord as God. John Gill said this in his personal life, in his royal duties, in all of his private conversations, God could stamp his approval upon everything that he did. I tell you, dear men and women, whenever we get to that place in our life, we'll see blessings. Whenever we live in a place where we bring pleasure to the heart of God, you'll remember Enoch didn't have a Bible, didn't have a verse of Scripture, didn't have a hymn. And it says Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. What a testimony. It wasn't men that gave him that testimony. It was God himself that gave him that testimony. Matthew Henry says concerning Asa, he knew God's eye was ever upon him and he aimed to ever please him. You know, dear people, this morning, if we get our aim on pleasing the Lord, every word that we say, every step that we take, if we can name our sights on aiming to please the Lord like Asa did, We'll be men and women that will bring pleasure to the heart of God. Cast it right down to verse 3. It says, For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves. You see, this man that pleased God, he put God first. You see, in Israel and in Judah there was idols. There was men had made idols of their hands, gods of gold and silver and stone. Gods that had hands that couldn't help. Gods that, gods that had ears but couldn't hear. Gods that had eyes but couldn't see. And they'd diverted away from the living God and they'd set up little gods of their own. And I want to ask you a question this morning as you sit in the lifeboat or listen to me wherever you may be. I wonder, have you made a god of your own? Maybe money's your God. Maybe pleasure's your God. Maybe your prosperity or your fame. Maybe that's your God. Maybe that's your idol. Well, this king got to the place where he broke down every idol. He removed the groves. And he set God in his rightful place. You remember we often sing it here, the dearest idol I have known. Whate'er that idol be, Help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. And there's many of us here this morning, we could have set up little gods of our own. And it doesn't please the Lord. Now you ask me a question, Stephen, how would I please the Lord? Well, the Bible says that without faith it is impossible to please him. To put our trust and to believe God and like Paul in the storm, whenever the waves and the billows roll and all of the situations in the health and in the family and in the work all seem to be against us that we can stand like Paul and say, men and brethren, I believe God. I wonder, do you believe him this morning? I wonder, do you believe him for your family, for your son, for your husband? Do you believe God? Because without faith it is impossible to please him. I'll tell you another way you can please God. It's not only to believe him, it's to praise him. The psalmist said, I will praise him with song, and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord. You know, whenever we as the people of God get down, not only just to ask him and to seek him, but to thank him, to thank the Lord for his goodness. Lord, you've been good to me. You've blessed me, Lord. 
Thank you for the husband or wife. Thank you for the home and the children. Thank you for the gifting and the calling that you've given me. And we praise the Lord. Brings pleasure into the heart of God. And this man Asa was a man that pleased God. But secondly, he was a man that prepared for battle. If you cast your eye away down to verse 6 of this same chapter, and it says, And he built fenced cities in Judah, for the land was at rest. Cast your eye to verse 7. Therefore he said unto Judah, Let us build these cities. Let us make about them the walls and the towers and the gates and the bars, while the land is yet before us. Here was a man that not only pleased, but he was a man that prepared. You know, dear friends, this morning you and I are in a battle. You and I, we face the world, the flesh, and the devil every day, those of us that are saved. And let me tell you this, we need to prepare for war. We need to prepare. You've never seen a man going out to battle that hadn't prepared. We need to know how to use the word of God. We need to have our hands trained to war and our fingers to fight, for the enemy will come. Maybe he's come to you during the week. And on down in this chapter, you'll discover we haven't time to go into it this morning, but there was a million Ethiopians came against King Asa. Over a million of them. And the reason why he was able to stand, because whenever the land was at rest, he prepared for battle. And you know, many of God's people today were resting on their lees and were not preparing for the battle that's coming, because let me tell you, there's a battle that's coming. COVID-19 was only a warning shot. There's something big that's coming. Whenever a tsunami comes, the first sign that men and women know on the shore that there's a tsunami coming is that the water goes out maybe half a mile and then it comes in. And you know, we've got a little lull now and everything's going out, but it's going to come in again. And unless we as the people of God have trained our hands to war and prepared for battle, we'll never stand whenever it comes. That's why the Bible says, put on the whole armor of God. Take the helmet and the breastplate and the shoes and the shield and the sword. Paul talks about being a vessel prepared unto every good work. You know, dear people, this morning it's a good thing to prepare for the service of God. Whatever God has you to do, you need to prepare. Some of you young men this morning, some of you young women, prepare for the days ahead. Prepare, make yourself a vessel prepared. You remember Moses, 40 years out in the wilderness, preparing for God. You remember David away out in the hills of Judea, a young man that was preparing himself for God. What about Ezra down in Babylon? Paul away out in the wilderness of Arabia. John the Baptist away out in the hills of Judea. And the Lord himself 30 years down in Nazareth, preparing for the days ahead. The Bible says away over in Isaiah 49 that he has made me a polished shaft in his quiver and he has hid me. You know, whenever an archer went out, he used to have arrows in his quiver and he would have used them maybe for the, for the general run of the day, but he always had one arrow in his quiver. One arrow in his quiver that he would polish whenever he had a little time spare and he would polish the shaft and he would sharpen the end, make that arrow as straight as it could just for that one shot opportunity. That one opportunity that he would have that he knew he needed an arrow that was reliable, that arrow that would hit the mark whenever it was released. You know, dear people of God, this morning the Lord wants to make us quivers, arrows in his quiver that are polished shafts just ready to hit the mark, whatever that mark may be. That whenever God sees a need arise in the land, he can say to some man or woman, I've got a job for you to do. And because we've been prepared in the quiver, he puts us in his bow and we hit the very mark. They hit the mark. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you prepared? Have you prepared for the Lord to use you? Are you a polished shaft in his quiver? Oh, it may take two years, it may take ten years, it may be forty years like Moses, but whenever he took Moses out and he put him into the boat, my Moses hit the mark. 
Whenever God took David, that young man, after all the years of fleeing across the hills, being hunted by Saul, but whenever David was ready, whenever God put the arrow in the, in the bow, David hit the mark. I wonder this morning, will many of us hit the mark? Or will we miss it? But not only did he prepare the cities, cast you right down to verse 8 for a moment, and you'll see that he prepared the soldiers. It says, in Asa had an army of men that bare targets and spears out of Judah 300,000 and out of Benjamin. Now you'll know that Judah was the lion tribe. I want you to listen to this. Judah was the lion tribe. That's the tribe that the Lord came from. Judah was always described as the lion that roared. But Benjamin was described as a wolf. I want you to listen. Judah was the lion tribe. Benjamin was the wolf tribe. Judah was the tribe of praise. Benjamin was the tribe of war. The lion always waits in his prey, but the the wolf stalks its prey. The lion always hunts alone, but the wolf always hunts in a pack. And I'll show you the significance of that just now. Because this king, he got an army, listen to this now, that was perfectly balanced. And you know, dear friend, this morning in our own individual life, and even in this assembly, we'll need to hit the balance. We'll need to get like the lion tribe. We'll need to know what it is to praise the Lord. And we'll need to be like the wolf tribe, Benjamin. We'll need to know what it is to fight for the Lord. We'll need to be like the lion that hunts alone. We need to be in with God alone in the daily place with God. But then we'll need to be like the wolf that comes together in the prayer meetings and we hunt together. It's getting the balance. You go to a dietitian, and maybe some of you here will need to go very shortly, but let me tell you this, whenever you go, you know what they'll say, you'll need to get the balance. You'll need to get, your, you'll need to get a, a balanced diet. And so many of us, we can be off balance, and that's what God has really spoken to me about. Stephen, you can be pray, 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 but I would love you just to praise me. And you see, whenever the lion tribe and the wolf tribe come together, they're a mighty force. They're a mighty force. Whenever you get the lions of Judah and the wolves of Benjamin together, they stood against over a million Ethiopians with God at their side. They were in balance. Are you off balance this morning? You know, I used to have an old lathe at home for turning wood before I got married. I had plenty of time to do it. I had to get rid of it whenever I got married. But do you know if you put that wood into the lathe and you had that thing off center, and whenever you turned the revs up on her, up to maybe 1,200 RPM, she would have shook, she'd have shook the place apart. She was off balance. Do you know, dear friends, this morning, whenever we're off balance, the thing will shake. If we're all praise, 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 but we're not going to fight, we'll be off balance. And if we're all fight, 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 but no praise, we'll be off balance. But this king, he got his army together and he got them perfectly balanced. He prepared for the day of battle. I tell you, he was some man. But not only was he a man that pleased and not only was he a man that prepared. Listen to this. He was a man that prayed. Because if you cast your eye to verse 11, it says that Asa cried unto the Lord as God. And I want to ask a question this morning as I have been asking myself the question, are we praying people? Because here was a man that knew what it was to cry unto God. And he learned this from his father. If you go way back into the early chapters of this book, you'll discover that his father did the very same thing. And Asa's father taught him to pray. Now just give me your attention. Some of you fathers here this morning, do you teach your children how to pray? You see, Asa had a father that gave him a godly example. And here this man, he not only pleased the Lord and he not only prepared, but he prayed. He was a man of prayer. 
He was a man that knew to cry unto God. And if there's ever a day in which we live that we need men and women of prayer, it's today. Men and women that will get a hold of God for the situation. They were outnumbered by the enemy two to one. They hadn't got the military hardware that the Ethiopians had. But whenever Asa went up against the Ethiopians, while he didn't have numbers and while he didn't have chariots, he had God at his side. I tell you, dear men and women, whenever we get into the battle and we've got God at our side, it'll make a difference. If you cast your eye to the middle of verse 11, it says, And he cried unto the Lord, It is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest in thee, and in thy name we go. Here was a man that put total confidence in God. Twice in that prayer he uses the word help. And maybe there's a mother in this meeting this morning, and that's the only word that you can lift from your soul this morning. Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. And here this man of God, he could cry, Help us, we rest on thee. And in thy name we go. It's like those of the Gadites that cried unto the Lord in the battle. And it says on down in this chapter that the Lord smote the Ethiopians. This man got a victory because he prayed. And maybe you've had a situation in your, in your life, in your family. I don't know what you're facing this morning. And nothing else seems to move it. Well, here was a man that knew that the only thing that could intervene was God. And I want to tell you, dear friends, it will not matter too much about the election in the days ahead unless we get hold of God. It will not make any difference. And here was a man in the battle, in the heat of the battle, cried unto God, Help us, Lord, for in thy name we go. And the Lord smote the Ethiopians. That's the character of this man that we're up against this morning. And I wonder how our characters weigh up with his character. Do we please the Lord? Have we prepared for battle? Are we men and women that cry and pray and lay hold of God? Is that the testimony that we have in our neighborhood? That's a praying man. That's a praying woman. My, that woman there, that's a man, that's a woman that knows how to pray. I was in a home recently. And where two sons had lost their father. And they took me over to the chair beside the fire and said, Stephen, you see that chair every morning. Before we got out of bed, my father was down on his knees beside that chair. There's his notes still there. Only a few days after his death, I was there. And the notes with all the names and women that he prayed for still beside the chair. And with the tears coming down his eyes of his son, he said, Stephen, there's one thing that my father was. He was a praying man. That's some testimony. Never took a meeting. Never that I know of ever stood in the open air. He maybe likely didn't even give his testimony in the pulpit. But he had a testimony from his two boys that Stephen, every morning before we got out of bed, we could hear our father praying. And up to the very week that he died, he was a man that had a testimony to pray. But there's not only the character of this man I want you to think for a moment about the encouragement of this, of this man. If you cast your eye to chapter 15. In chapter 15, whenever they were coming back from the battle, and they're coming back with all of the spoil, and it says that they had exceedingly much spoil, they're coming back from looting all of the camps of the Ethiopians, and they're just coming back into Jerusalem. And there's a prophet by the name of Azariah comes to meet him, the Spirit of the Lord, verse 1 the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you. My, I tell you, that's a mighty encouragement in the days in which we live to know that God is with us. He said, The Lord is with you. You know, that was the very same phrase whenever the angel of the Lord went down and, and met Gideon. You'll remember Gideon whenever he was down beating out a little handful of corn. 
And the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, came to Gideon. He said, Thou mighty man of valor, the Lord is with thee. The Lord is with us. I tell you, dear friends, that's exactly what it says of Joseph whenever he was down in Egypt. Whenever he was down in Potiphar's house, it says that the Lord was with him, and Potiphar saw that. Whenever he was in prison, the prisoners saw it. Whenever he was on the throne as the prime minister, it says that Pharaoh knew that the Lord was with Joseph. And I tell you, dear men and women, this morning when God separates a young man or a young woman or an older man or an older woman onto himself and he's with that person, you'll not be long until you find out. Whenever God separates an individual for himself and the presence of the Lord and the power of the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord is upon that individual, it'll not be too long until you know. You read on down in this chapter, in chapter verse 9, it'll tell you there that they knew that the Lord was with Asa. To be in that place where God can bless us. To be in that place where we're carriers of the very presence of God. To be in that place where we change the atmosphere of wherever we go. Because God is with us. I tell you, dear men and women, that's more than just getting saved and that's just more than going to church. But being men and women that carry the very presence of God, you've met them as well as I have. Men and women that you stood and you says, there's a man or woman. God is with that person. God's with that person. God has his mark upon that young man or mark upon that young woman. Well, dear men and women, that's where I want to be. Somewhere where the approval of God rests upon me. And I'm sure you're the same. And this prophet could come to Asa and said, The Lord is with you. You know, he'll be with you whenever you go to the hospital during the week. He'll be with you whenever you go, maybe to that appointment. He'll be with you. He'll be with you whenever you go home after this meeting to a home where the husband's no longer there or your wife's no longer there. And you know what it is to get in alone, away from everywhere else? Let me tell you, dear friends, he is with you. Thank God. He'll be with you whenever you go to work. He'll be with you whenever you go to school. He'll be with you whenever you go to that, 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 uh, that appointment. He is with you. But then he goes on and he puts a very interesting little mark in here. Cast your eye to it again, verse 2. He said, the Lord is with you. Now mark this. While ye be with him. You know, dear friends, this morning there's blessings of God that are conditional. There's blessings that are not conditional, but there's blessings that are. And if you and I want to go through with God, and you and I want to have the presence of God, and you and I want to know something of the Spirit of God resting upon us, there's conditions that you and I must meet. Because this old prophet could say, listen to it again, the Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye forsake him, and if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Now there's one mark about the children of Israel, and I want you to listen to this. There's one feature among the people of God and the children of Israel and among this king himself was that he was prone to wander from God. Now just let that sink in this morning. He was prone to wander from God. You'll remember the hymn that Robert Robertson penned, prone to wander, God I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And now every time that Israel had a mighty victory, they always pulled back and rested on their lees And they let down their guard, and it was then that the enemy came. Whenever you and I pull back from the battle, whenever you and I, we rest and set down our guard, it's then that the enemy came to David. Whenever in the evening tide, he was still in his bed, and he looked out, and he saw a woman, and he fell into adultery. It was because they rested on their knees that Samson lost his power and he lost his hair and he lost his eyes and he spent the last few days of his life grinding in an old Philistine prison. He let down his guard. 
He wandered. Now I'm sure many of us here this morning can identify with that. Do you know what it is to be times close to God, almost so close that you could touch him? Times whenever he's so near. Times when the word is alive. Times whenever prayer is easy. But then there's other times whenever we seem to wander. Times like Robert Robinson, we can say, prone to wander, God, I feel it. And this king got an encouragement from the prophet to seek the Lord and he will be found of you. Cast your right down to verse 7. He said, be ye strong, therefore, let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Now, I don't know what you do for the Lord. Maybe there's a Sunday school teacher here and you're just ready to give up. Maybe you started on the Friday nights and you were going for a few weeks, but you're just ready to give up. Maybe you've been praying for a revival. Maybe you've been praying for your boys. Maybe you've been praying for some situation. The more you pray, the harder it gets. And you say, Lord, what's the use in it all? And you're just ready to give up. Well, here's a word that came to the king from an old man of God. He said, be strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Maybe it's in the doors like Robert or in the open airs of the missions. Be strong. For your work shall be rewarded. That's the very same word in the way back in Genesis 15. Whenever Abraham came, came back from the battle of the kings and he was lying in his tent and I'm sure he was afraid. And the Lord came to Abraham and this is what he said. He said, fear not Abraham, for I am thy shield and thine exceeding great reward. You see this text behind me this morning. Surely I come quickly. But you know what the rest of the, the verse says? The rest of the verse says, Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. There's a reward. Don't pull back. Don't faint in the day of battle. Don't stop your praying. Don't stop your weeping. Don't stop your crying. Don't stop your serving. Hold on. Hold on. Sometimes that's all we can do. You see that word, if you cast your eye away down to it, the word, be strong. And you'll find the word weak there. Well, that word weak is the word to let down your hands. It's the word to, to be faint. And you remember whenever Moses was away up on the mountainside and Aaron and Hur said they had to come alongside him because his hands were weary, they were faint. And they had to hold up the hands. And every time the hands were dropped, the enemy came. And every time the hands went up, the Lord got the victory. Well, I want to tell you, dear friends, keep holding up your hands for that family. Keep holding up your hands for the land. For your work shall be rewarded. I don't know if any of you here this morning know anything about boxing, but I used to do a bit of boxing, you know. There used to be a wee boxing club away in Money Moor, and I used to go to the odd time and I think I got more beatings at it than I gave. But you know, dear friends, you'll watch a man in a boxing match and you'll maybe see one man and he'll dictate the whole, maybe 11 rounds, bang, bang, bang. And he'll have his opponent in the corner and up against the ring and maybe he'll even get him down. Go up one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eleven rounds. My, he'll be pumping that man, bang, bang, bang. But whenever he gets to the 12th round, he can just let his hands down one time. And the enemy will get him. And it could be a knockout punch in the 12th round. And there's some of you here this morning and you're in the 12th round of your life. You're coming down to the ring of the bell. And you could let your hands down at any moment. And let me tell you this, the devil could have a knockout punch for you. And you could do something in the last moments, in the last days of your life that would destroy your testimony. Let not your hands be weak. Then if you cast your eye down, down again for a moment to verse 8. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage. And I want to encourage you, dear folk, this morning, dear people of God, to keep holding on. That's the same word whenever David came back to Ziglag and he's seen the smoke going up. 
And his family was gone and his children were gone and his men were going to stone him. He was never in as bad a situation that he'd ever been in his day. And it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. He couldn't encourage himself in the circumstances and maybe neither can you. But let me tell you here, jail this morning, you can encourage yourself in the Lord. It's the same word that's used of Joab. Whenever Joab, there was a mark upon his life and he was going to die. You know what Joab did in 1 Kings chapter 2? It says that Joab ran into the temple. And it says that he caught hold of the horns of the altar. That word to caught hold there is the word to take courage. He says, I'm going to take hold of the horns of the altar. And he says, I'm going to die here. It's the same word that's used to the Shulamite whenever her son was dead. And she came that long, weary track to the man of God, Elisha. And when she found Elisha, she came to him. And you know what it says? She, she took hold of him by the feet. She took courage. It wasn't too long after that that her boy was restored to her. And I want to tell you, dear friend, this morning, keep holding on to the horns of the altar. Keep holding on. Take courage. It's time for us as the people of God to put away all our half-heartedness. It's time that we put away all our lukewarmness and our half-hearted devotion and our middle-of-the-road standards. We need to be like the old Spurgeon of old that it was said of him that was Spurgeon, you're either in or out, up or down, black or white, or alive or dead. We need to be sold out for God to take hold. Don't back down. Don't back down on the Monday night. Don't back down on a Wednesday night or Friday night. Take hold of the horns of the altar. Keep holding on. There was a man one day asked uh, William Booth, he said, William Booth, what's the secret of your life? Why is it that you saw so many victories for God? And this is what William Booth said, I will tell you the secret that I had, that God had every part of me, all of my devotion, all the power of my will, all the influence of my life, God had every part of me. I wonder, does he have every part of us? Are we happy just to be saved? Happy just to know a few verses? Happy just to go to a few meetings? Are we going to be sold out for God? And say like Joshua of old, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My time has beaten me this morning. And I was going to show you a few things that this man did whenever he took courage because it says that he removed again the altars and all of the land. There were some altars that he didn't deal with the first time. There were some idols that he didn't deal with the first time and he had to go back and he had to do it again. And dear friend, this morning, maybe over the last few Sunday mornings, whenever Bertie's been preaching and probing into her soul, God has been laying some things in your heart and my heart that need to be done. And you've done a few things. But it says of Asa that he went through all the land and removed all the idols. Not just some things. And he not only removed the idols and he repaired the altar and he reunited the people. Read it yourself whenever you go home. What a man. But this is what I want to close with this morning. And I want you to give me your attention. Because there's not only the character that this man had and there's not only the courage that he took. I want you to hear this for a moment. There's the covenant that he made. This man, Asa, this king of Judah, made a covenant with God. If you cast your eye away in chapter 15, way down to verse 12, it says, And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all of their heart and with all of their soul. Here was a man that went into new gear for God. And I've been praying over this meeting during the week much that even one individual, Lord, out of this meeting, just one, Lord, just one person would go into a new gear for God. You know what it is to be driving the car and you're stuck in third gear and you're revving, no power. You stick her into fourth and you're away. 
And there's so many of us, we're at that place where we're revving and revving, but there's no power and we need to go into a new gear. We need to knock her up a gear. Well, here this man, Manasseh, went into a new gear for God and he made a covenant with the Lord. Thank God for those people that sing. Thank God for the people that preach about sermons and about the Lord. And thank God for all of the suppers and all the rest of it. But I'm interested in the mo- this morning who's going to be a seeker after God. Not suppers, not sermons, not even singers. Who's going to rise up this morning in the lifeboat and say, Lord, if I do nothing else to the day that I die, I'm going to seek the Lord with all of my heart. You cast your eye again to verse 12 as we close. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all of their heart, with all of their soul. And verse 15 it says, with their whole desire. You remember the covenants in the Bible, study them sometime. Ewan was studying them there a few weeks ago. You remember the covenant that God made with Noah? You'll remember that covenant he gave. He says, Noah, look, I've flooded the world, but I'm never going to flood it again. As a token of the covenant, there's a bow in the sky. And every time you see a bow in the sky, it's a covenant, it's a mark of the covenant that God made with Noah. It's never going to flood the world again like that. Then you'll remember the covenant that God made with Abraham. He says, I'll make your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand upon the seashore. God made a covenant with Israel. He says, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. God made a covenant with David. He says, I'm going to raise up a ruler that's going to sit upon your throne. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and the wine, like what we're going to do in a moment's time, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. The Bible calls it a better covenant. It calls it an everlasting covenant. And all those covenants are God, covenants that God has made with man. But let me ask you a question. Is, who's making a covenant with God? Who among us will be bold enough to say, Lord, I'm going to make a covenant with you over my family? Who among us is going to be bold enough and say, I'm going to make a covenant, Lord, over the nation and over Ireland for revival? Who's going to be bold enough and big enough and believe God enough to say, Lord, I'm going to be that person no one ever preached, never seen in the eyes of public. I'm going to make a covenant with God. You cast your eye very quickly to verse 13. It says, And whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death. That's some stuff. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Stephen, that's a bit radical, you know. No, Stephen, I don't mind praying a wee devotional prayer in the morning, and I don't mind saying, Lord, help me back and pray for my family, but I don't really want to enter into that. You see, dear friend, if you were alive in the day of Asa, you know what happened? They'd have taken you out of the city and stoned you to death. You remember Saul, the first king of Israel? You remember how he died in the Mount Gilboa? That man that prophesied died because of suicide. And the way back in 1 Chronicles, this is what it says. It says that it wasn't the sword that killed him. It says that the Lord slew Saul because he didn't seek after him. The Lord slew Saul because he never inquired after the Lord. And I wonder this morning if God was to slay people that didn't seek him. I wonder how many of us here this morning would die. Oh, I know we seek after our money, and I know we seek after our family, and I know we seek after our big holidays, and I know we seek after all the nice things of the world, but I want to ask you, do you seek after God? Would he have to kill you this morning? Would God kill you if he was going to deal with you the way he dealt with Saul? Now, be honest. Would you have to fall on your sword as Saul did on Mount Gilboa? And the Lord slew him because he never inquired of the Lord? And those that never sought the Lord were put to death. You'll remember what it says in Amos, Seek the Lord and ye shall live. Hosea, God's 
God's prophet for Israel's dying hour, he said, it's time to seek the Lord. Now there's a word from God to your soul this morning. There's some of you parents here and it's time that you began to seek the Lord. There's some of you married couples here this morning and your marriage is almost in the rocks. It's time to seek the Lord. There's some of you people here and you're drifting away from God and you're involved in sins that you thought you'd never be involved in and you've almost gone too far. It's time to seek the Lord. And Hosea went on and he said, it's time to seek the Lord until he comes. Now you cast your eye to the end of verse verse 15. And it says, all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire, and he was found of them. And you know, this King Asa, he only had one promise to seek after God, and we read it in verse 2, that if ye seek him, he will be found of you. One promise that this king had, and he stepped out on the promise of God, and he got the people together, and they swore an oath to seek the Lord God of Israel, and they sought him with their whole heart, their whole soul and their whole desire. And I don't know how you do that. As I've been walking up and down our hall during the week, and this is what I've been praying, Lord, I would love to give you all of my heart, but my heart's so depraved, I can't, can't do it. Lord, I would love to give you my whole soul and my whole mind, but I'm so depraved, Lord, I would only fool myself. Lord, I want to seek you with my whole desire, but Lord, I would only say that, that wouldn't be right. Lord, I want you to put me in that place where you know that I'm doing it with all of my heart. Where you know that it's real sincerity. Where I seek thee with the whole desire of my being. And they sought him. And he was found of them. One promise. That if you seek him, he will be found of you. And you and I this morning have from Genesis to Revelation this old book. Thank God this book this morning is full of promises. Seek me and ye shall find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Not just some of it. Not just when other people are around. Ye shall seek me and ye shall find me when ye search for me with all of your heart. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You remember the Lord Jesus said, Ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. The God whom ye seek shall suddenly, shall suddenly come to his temple. If my people which are called by my name humble themselves and seek my face and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will heal their land. And one of the reasons our land's in a mess this morning is not because of Boris Johnson, and it's not because the executive has been pulled down. It's because you and I, and I put myself before it all this morning, we're not seeking. Oh, we'll sing and we'll have suppers, but we're not going to seek. Are you going to make a covenant with God? Are you going to say, Lord, my boy's gone into the world long enough. The devil's had him too long. Are you going to go home after this meeting and say, Lord, the devil's taken enough of our young people in suicide and drugs. He's gone thus far, but no further. And I'm going to make a covenant with God. Are you going to go home and say, my grandmother, grandfather, they're on their way to a lost sinner's hell and unless I lay hold of them, they'll perish. And when they sought him, he was found of them. And let me tell you, dear friend, this morning, if you're saved, he'll treat you no different than he did with the children of Israel back then. Ye shall seek me, and ye shall find me. When? That's the big word. When ye search for me with all of your heart. Solomon could say, my son, give me thy heart. All of thy heart. You know, that's what happened away in the 1940s. 
Two little women that lived in a little cottage at the side of the road, the main road going into Barvis. Peggy and Christine Smith. They looked out over the island of Barvis and they saw the islands of the Hebrides going to the dogs, the people of God. People had no interest in God. The, the public houses were full. And Peggy and Christine Smith, one of them almost blind, they made a covenant with God. And three nights a week they prayed from 10 o'clock in the mo- at night to 4 o'clock in the morning. Six hours, three nights a week. And they tied themselves down into a covenant with God and says, Lord, you have promised to pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And let me tell you, in 1949, the floods came upon the dry ground because two women made a covenant with God. The Shulamite said, I sought him and found him not. And I will arise and go through the streets of the city. And then she says, I found him. I found him. And I held him and would not let him go. You know, that's the king Asa. You know, I want to close the meeting now with a different king. And he was a king that pleased. And he was a king that prayed. And he was a king that prepared. And he came seeking. He says, I am come to, to seek and to save that which is lost. And there on the cross of Calvary, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he came seeking for you, friends. He came seeking for you, but you know this morning he would love you to seek him. He would love you to seek him. He would love to reveal himself to you in a way that you have never known him before a way that you'll not get to know him by reading a book or hearing his testimony or even coming to a meeting. But you say, Lord, I'm going to seek you. Lord, I'm going to find you. And if you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found of you. You know, it's all right me preaching that this morning. And all that's really nice to hear and all that's encouraging, but I wonder, will any of us do it? I wonder, will any of us do it? I wonder, will we say, Lord, I'm not going to let the hands down in the 12th round. Lord, I've been fighting for my family for 11 rounds and the bell's about to go and I'm weary, Lord. I'm tired, tired. You say, Lord, I'm going to fight tooth and nail to the very end. Don't have a twelfth round knockout. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you.